Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of finance. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the one property investment golden rule that is more important than everything else. And that if you can nail this golden rule, uh, you are virtually guaranteed to build wealth in the long run. Now, I know that statement might sound sensationalist, um, but really I cannot overstate uh, this point and how important this golden rule is. And the golden rule is that the quality of the property that you invest in will be responsible for driving its long-term returns. And so therefore, if you invest in an above average quality property, it's likely your returns in the long run will be above average. Uh, And of course, if you invest in an average or below average quality property, of course, you cannot expect to achieve above average returns. So the, the, the key here is that quality is king. Quality really trumps every every other attribute. So you can get everything wrong, wrong ownership structure, wrong financing structure, uh, the wrong time of the market, etc., uh, etc. Et but if you buy a really high quality property, uh, whilst you might um, it, it might be inefficient because of your structuring and ownership and taxation and so forth, it'll still work in terms of generating substantial wealth. And really, the quality rule isn't just unique to property as an asset class; uh, it applies across the board. So you know, if you invest in a high quality stock or if you adopt a high-quality investment methodology in shares, bonds, or commercial property, uh, and that that is a sound evidence-based strategy, uh, then you're more likely to achieve better returns. So when I talk about quality, what am I talking about? What does it mean? Well, really by definition, a quality property has the necessary attributes to sustain a level of buyer demand that perpetually exceeds supply. So let me just say that again. A quality property has the necessary attributes to sustain a level of buyer demand that perpetually exceeds supply. Uh, So it's just that imbalance of supply and demand that creates the value and price appreciation over the long run. Uh, And often I refer to as quality properties, I often refer to them as investment grade. Uh, And so the key attributes here is that demand will always exceed supply, and that has the attributes to continue to drive that imbalance. So let's then talk about the the two elements then of that equation, supply and demand. And let's start with the supply um, side, because I think that's probably, of the two factors, it's probably uh, easier to ascertain or understand as well. Uh, So supply really just refers to both land supply and dwelling type and style. So in regards to land, it's important that you um, invest in a location where supply of land is fixed and finite. Um, So that is that there's no uh, available land really within uh, within any sort of proximity uh, from where you're investing. So that is, you know, you could drive maybe 10 or 20 k's in any direction and you're not going to find a lot of vacant land. Now, typically, that's going to be uh, in well-established blue-chip suburbs. But if you go further out, if you go into those secondary and third locations, quite often, um, they'll be located relatively close to new developments, new land releases and those sorts of things, 
well, that changes the supply. Maybe not in that specific area, but it's close enough um, so that supply isn't as scarce as it is you know, close to the city and in those blue chip locations. So in addition to investing in locations where there's no available vacant land um, within close proximity, uh, it's important to think about the property type as well because that will affect the, the supply side um, equation. The, the first observation here is that supply of houses in established blue chip suburbs really changes. Uh, now, of course, you've got one house per block, uh, and if we can't um, release new land and create uh, additional blocks of land, well, then that's fixed. Uh, so then the only thing we can do to change the supply of houses is perhaps doing uh, small subdivisions, you know, um, bulldozing a house and replacing it with two or three townhouses, for example. Well, that certainly happens, and it's certainly very prevalent in secondary locations, but quite often, or more often than not, in um, very highly sought after blue chip suburbs, the land value tends to be so expensive and so high that it becomes uneconomical for developers to go and do that, to, to buy the house, bulldoze it and build two or three townhouses. And in the situations where they do, uh, tend to be very premium. So in well-established blue chip suburbs, the supply of housing is fixed and it's not going to change, and that supply side um, is very good. Now, of course, when I say very good, it's advantageous for investors. Now, if we think about different property types like apartments, um, uh, apartments, you can change the, the supply in any particular area. You know, you might be able to buy a couple of blocks of land, bulldoze it, and build 50 apartments, for example. Uh, now, uh, the apartment supply is going to be easier to change in locations that allow uh, multi-storey buildings um, in, again, built-up uh, blue-chip suburban locations. Uh, that's more difficult, again, because land, land uh, values are so high. But that's why I typically favour investing in a house because you've got that direct land component and the supply side is fixed uh, compared to apartments, which is not to say apartments make a poor investment uh, and of course you know apartments uh, at a, are a lower price point so for some people that's an affordability consideration uh, but you know from a, a supply side perspective uh, houses do have that advantage. The other thing to think about as well is architectural style uh, so if we think about sort of Victorian houses as an example uh, you know um, sometimes people build kind of replica uh, Victorian houses, but they're sort of not the same really, uh, and and they're not that common as well. Uh, again, the cost to construct is is quite high. Uh, so Victorian houses, in terms of a supply, supply is uh, either fixed or falling, or fixed or reducing. I say reducing because um, if a house is in absolute disrepair, um, and if uh, planning laws allow it, uh, some of those get bulldozed. Uh, so from year to year. Arguably, that supply of genuine Victorian-style uh, architecture uh, is reducing over time, uh, and it's it's highly desirable. Uh, tends to be located in you know really good quality suburbs, and that architectural style uh, therefore has that really um, tight finite supply, which helps that supply demand equation. Okay, so that's a bit on the supply side. Let's talk about the demand side because uh, that's the bit that's probably uh, should require a bit of your focus. You know, find the 
an area that's got you know very tight and finite supply and all those sorts of things I just spoke about is relatively easy. It's um, very straightforward and common sense. The the demand factors uh, is is something that I would uh, encourage people to start really thinking uh, carefully about. And remember, with demand, what we're looking for is for the demand to perpetually exceed supply. So really what we want is really sustained levels of diversified demand for a particular property type in a particular location. Uh, And really demand, what we're really looking at or referring to or considering is the pool of potential purchases uh, for that particular property. And just notionally, what you really want is you want to invest in an asset that notionally, for example, has maybe 10 buyers for every one seller. And this means that, you know, if something was to happen on the supply side, uh, so there's a slight increase in supply, because you're, the buyers are outnumbering sellers by 10 to 1, um, you'll be less, you'll be somewhat insulated or less sensitive to supply side movements. And the same with demand, you know, if there's an economic recession or higher interest rates, well, instead of having 10 buyers, you know, maybe you've got six. Um, but as long as you've got more than two, uh, you're m- most likely to get um, uh, price appreciation. Now, the other thing too to think about when you think about just this notional element of 10 buyers, what you really want is diversified demand. So for example, of those 10 buyers, um, maybe three of them might be self-funded retirees, for example, you know, people with a really strong asset base. Three might be investors, there might be three owner-occupier sort of upgraders or first-home buyers, you know, and there might some of them might be self-employed, some of them might be um, high-income earners, you know, etc., uh, etc. Et what you want is a, a property that appeals to a broad spectrum of potential buyers. And again, what that does is it makes your demand element uh, less sensitive to the vagaries of the economy or the changes in behavior or changes in appetite and those sorts of things. So it's really good when you're looking at a property and you're thinking about uh, an investment property, really thinking about who does this appeal to, who does this suit, um, and you want that sort of broad-based, uh, broad-based appeal. Now, when thinking about demand, this is probably the most important consideration. And one, th- one thing that I've you know, spent a lot of time thinking about and I encourage people to think about you know, quite often when the media considers the question, can prices rise forever? And particularly inexperienced property investors also ask themselves the same question, you know, should I get into property now because prices are so high? Uh, So quite often when the media considers this question, they consider sort of average property prices compared to average household incomes and draw some conclusions. Now, of course, that's a meaningful macroeconomic analysis. Uh, that's fine, but it's it's less important for property investors. And the reason why quality is so important is that what you want is you want your asset to really appeal to higher income earners and the 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 top wealthy people. Uh, so, for example, in Australia, the wealthiest twenty percent of Australians have almost three and a half times more wealth than the average Australian. And so what you want is an asset that appeals to that cohort, that cohort that is in a financial position to be able to afford to pay more for that property down the track, that, that, that in that position where they want to and they desire and they aspire to live in that location and that property type. And as I said, the rich get richer 
unfortunately, there's that inequality of wealth and that inequality of wealth just gets worse. And things like uh, COVID just make that even worse. And whilst we might like to talk about, you know, what sort of policies can we have in place to um, equalize wealth more fairly? And I think that's a good conversation to have. The reality is that it's very unlikely to change. And in Australia, the wealth inequality is getting worse. So um, by making sure that you're investing in location that really is attractive to that wealthiest 20% of Australians, that's where you're more likely than not going to get um, perpetual price growth, uh, at least over the long periods of time, you know, at least over the next 10 to 20, 30 years. Um, beyond that, who, who really knows, but it's probably also not really relevant uh, to your investment strategy either. So it's also good to talk about, you know, what are the attributes, what are the common things that uh, this cohort look for uh, in terms of a location uh, that benefits from that really strong demand. And of course, every location is uh, different. They all have their sort of nuances and uh, uniqueness and so forth. But there's really about so six sort of attributes that typically uh, you want to consider when deciding whether a location really has that strong depth of demand. And so the first thing is amenities. Um, So obviously necessities like supermarkets, family doctor, dentists, those sorts of things, but equally important are entertainment activities and a diverse range of entertainment activities as well. So it can include cafes, restaurants, uh, entertainment venues like movie theaters, uh, bowling alley, etc., parkland, also for exercising, bike tracks, and and those sorts of th- things. So I just sort of put that into kind of that amenities category. The second thing is proximity to employment opportunities. Now, I realise that a lot of people think, well, because of COVID, we're all working from home now. Um, that is uh, going to be um, less important. But I think um, that's been overstated a little bit. I think in the long term, uh, there's always going to be substantially better employment opportunities um, in capital city um, CBDs. And so if you want to reduce that commute time, then living close as close as possible to the CBD um, is going to uh, give you greater scope for employment opportunities uh, as well as remu- uh, reducing that commute time. The third is schools, uh, and schools in um, some locations around Australia drive property prices significantly, uh, and that could either be a, a, a school zone for a, a good public or well-regarded public school, um, and also uh, proximity to you know, various private schools as well. That can, that can be a big one. Uh, culture and community is another element. Uh, it's really important that a location has a really good culture and vibe. Um, and sometimes you find, you know, some inner, sub, inner city suburbs, sometimes they lack that sort of vibe and it really does reflect in property price growth. Uh, healthcare is another one, uh, particularly for, you know, d- different subsets of, uh, of demographics. Uh, so proximity to hospitals uh, are important for some particularly older folk. And transport, of course, transport's uh, important, whether that's good public transport um, it, that's easily available through, you know, within walking distance and also major arterial roads to, to get a, across the other side of the city or um, even out of the city and, and so forth. So they're the, the attributes. 
Uh, I'll just reel them off again. Amenities, proximity to employment opportunities, schools, a culture sort of community, healthcare and transport. Of course, uh, every location's uh, different, so there could be attributes outside of this that um, also impact on demand. But again, something to really think about in terms of a really good quality property that hopefully would tick all those boxes. Now, a property's quality doesn't always drive returns and especially true in the short term. Uh, so in the short term, sometimes popularity drives returns. And I guess this has been particularly evident over the last couple of years through COVID in many coastal locations. You know, the, the popular sort of trend or theme is that, you know, since we now can all conduct business over online over Zoom and so forth, we can all move to the coast and enjoy a better lifestyle. And, and this thematic has really driven unusually high levels of demand for these locations at a time when supply has been really tight, hasn't been a lot of properties for sale, uh, and so we're seeing some extraordinary price growth in some of those locations. Now, if you're going to invest based on these short-term popularity trends, uh, then you've got to have a well-defined exit strategy. Investment returns will always eventually revert to their mean uh, or their average, uh, and so at some particular time, prices will uh, correct in these locations, uh, which could mean that there's very little growth for a period of time until uh, really the fundamental value uh, catches up with the market value, or in fact, prices could uh, could drop. Uh, and certainly those coastal locations tend to be more cyclical uh, in terms of price growth uh, compared to inner city locations that really does have that um, uh constant level of excessive demand and that's what I've been talking about in terms of those demand factors. So popularity drives or can drive returns in the short run uh, but really quality at the end of the day drives long-term returns 100%. So as an investor if you're going to obsess about anything I think it should be quality um, and it applies to property and as I said any other asset classes. If you get the quality right, like if you nail that quality element and you get everything else wrong, it's still likely you'll be successful with building substantial wealth. So my advice is if you're going to direct any energy towards investing, direct 100% of that energy towards nailing that quality element uh, and then outsource all the rest to, other, to experience advisors, so tax, um, borrowing, selection, those sorts of things. It's really that quality element, and that's the golden rule. The golden rule is that if you want above average quality returns or you want to reduce your investment risk, then you have to level up in terms of asset quality and only invest in high quality assets. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, until next week, bye for now.